This episode of Vision, Hustle, Grit, and Gratitude is brought to you by our Michigan-based firm, Mass Mutual Great Lakes. Growing up as one of four boys outside of the city of Chicago, my brothers and I enjoyed an unbelievable abundance of faith, family, fitness, becoming ferocious competitors as young men, and gratitude for what it means to live in a free country. The one thing we lacked a little bit of on a consistent basis was financial resources. And lacking that level of financial security and stability and success prevented us from having one very special thing throughout our lives, which was consistently having the power of choice. Becoming a professional in our industry means that you have the opportunity to architect your clients, your friends, your family's financial household, their plan to create financial well-being and success throughout their lives. This alone empowers people to have the power of choice for themselves, their families, and the businesses that they serve and represent. Our firm is based in Southeast Michigan, and we're always looking to bring on great people Great people making great decisions consistently delivers great outcomes. If you'd like to learn more about career opportunities with our firm, visit greatlakes.massmutual.com backslash careers to start a conversation with our team today. We look forward to hearing from you. But it was never my plan. It was just this series of experiences, tasting what was on the sample platter, being in the moment, seeing problems, asking questions. And before I knew it, we were a couple months in the fleece and thank you and realized, wow, okay, this is, this is, I'm doing it. Hey everybody, Chad here from Mass Mutual Great Lakes filling in on this week's episode. Uh, today, I'm really excited to share a conversation that I had with Nicholas Christock. Nicholas is a socialpreneur by trade. Uh, he is the founder and executive director of Fleece and Thank You, a nonprofit based here in the Metro Detroit area. In today's episode with Nicholas, we go deep into the entrepreneurship journey. Nicholas shares how he came to entrepreneurship, how he approached the world with curiosity, and how that led to solving problems. We talk about the the mental aspect of taking a road less traveled and overcoming that. And we talk about how he has continued to approach problem solving and building his businesses with a servant leadership mindset. Uh, if you have an interest in becoming an entrepreneur and exploring entrepreneurship, um, or just learning about how to approach the world in a way that will really serve you well and how to solve problems, you're going to find a lot of value in today's episode. I hope you enjoy. All right, everyone, welcome on into today's episode of Vision, Hustle, Grit, and Gratitude. Uh, my name is Chad Miles. I am the marketing storyteller and marketing specialist at Mass Mutual Great Lakes. I'm excited to be to be filling in as host today on the uh, Vision, Hustle, Grit, and Gratitude podcast. I'm equally as excited to be joined by Nicholas Christock. Nicholas is the founder and executive director of Fleece and Thank You, and Nicholas is a socialpreneur. Uh, Nicholas, before we jump into things, good morning. Thanks for being on here with us this morning. Good morning. I am so pumped. I've consumed many episodes of Vision, Hustle, Grit, and Gratitude, and it's a real honor to be talking with you. So this this idea of of socialpreneur, and you know, one of the things as as our relationship has developed over time, 
um, not only the socialpreneur aspect of it, but but in you are an entrepreneur uh, many times over. And, and I, I want to start there because talk to me a little bit about the process of, of becoming an entrepreneur. Is that something that you knew you always wanted? Is that, is that the vision that you always had for your life or how did that come to be? There was definitely not a vision uh, moving forward in my life that entrepreneurship was going to be my path. But I can say that I exhibited lots of traits that I, as I look back on it now, totally can see how the path led me here as far as loving to build things, enjoying making tons of new relationships and connections, taking a problem and solving it. And all those things that I could see from my childhood into high school, into college, even into living abroad around the world, those things all came together and resulted in this journey of entrepreneurship. And it really has for me always been about seeing problems and just being so focused on and well, how do we solve that problem? And I believe that a business, a well thought out, well executed business can be the solution to many of society and the world's uh, issues and problems we face today. How do you think, uh, was it a natural skill set of yours to be able to just take a look at what's going on in society, what's going on in the business world and be able to dissect and notice these problems and come up with solutions? Is that something that you felt like you... Did you learn that? Were you taught that? Where does that come from? So here's the trait that I think comes earlier down the value chain that leads to everything that you just said. Because I don't think that I am at all naturally gifted at solving problems. What I do think that I was born with a natural gift for, and uh, I haven't quite ever you know traced this to anything as far as environmental. So I think it really is just I was born with a natural gift of curiosity. Chad, I ask way too many questions to lots of people. And it really is this process of asking a lot of questions that normally lead me to the solution. And I fully admit, I don't get there on my own because to ask a question to a wall, you don't get a very good answer. But to ask a question of others, then you start to put these pieces of the puzzle onto the table and you can actually make the puzzle fit. So curiosity to me is the one trait that for anyone who has even an inkling of starting anything, being an entrepreneur, or just executing on something in their life, it is going to start with asking lots of questions until you're asking the right questions. Yeah. Talk to me more about that process of, of, um, I think that's what comes to my mind. And I know for many people who maybe are going down an entrepreneurial journey or have thought about this is like, how do I know what the right question is? So you talk about asking a lot of questions. Walk me more through that process of, of figuring out what are the right questions I should be asking to get the answers I'm looking for. There's a famous uh, comedian skit where uh, he, it's a comedian who's talking to his daughter. And I think they start talking just about breakfast and Everything he says, you know, uh, hey, we're going to have cereal for breakfast. Why? Because we had waffles yesterday. Why? Because I felt like making, you know, she just wise him all the way to they eventually start getting to the meaning of the universe, right? Because she asks enough why questions out of him. And the right, in a, in a time and age where we would both agree, answers are so available, you are always within what I think the stat is. You're always within arm's reach of your phone at any point throughout the day, even going to the bathroom, even probably showering. You're always within arm's reach of your phone and your phone has instant answers on it. But if you don't ask the right question to your Google search, 
there's no way you're going to get the answer. If you want to know who won the 1968 World Series, if you don't type into Google who won the 1968 World Series, Google's not just going to tell you that because you thought it. You have to ask the right question. And that I apply broadly to life. To find out anything, you should be way more focused on asking the right questions than getting the right answers because the answers are always out there. If we don't ask the right questions, we'll just never get there. And it has to just start with with asking questions, period, right? I mean, that's the only way that you can figure out what the right question is. I think it starts from the foundation of acknowledging that there's so much I don't know about whatever it is we're talking about. Letting that pride come down and just being very humble and saying, like, I'm going to ask these questions as if I am coming to this for the first time right now. And to change your mindset and ask questions from that seat it opens up a whole new world of thinking. And it, and it really actually, there's uh, biological chemical things happening in the brain when you choose to say, I want to look at this position, this problem, as if I'm seeing it for the first time right now. But, but that in itself is even, I think, a skill set to be able to, you know, you, you mentioned the word pride. And I think there's, there is so much pride involved with, and I, I know I've experienced it myself, uh, there's a pride and there's sort of a comfort and security involved with feeling like you know something, feeling like you have the answer, right? And so I think, I think it's one of the things that many people struggle with. And, and I'm curious as to what the journey was like for you is, is to be able to say, like raise your hand and say, I, I don't know anything about this topic. Um, I'm going to approach it with just the, the intention to solely learn but, but to be able to admit to other people, I don't know anything about this and, and I'm going to ask questions, I think is hard to do. There's a self-confidence and self-esteem component to that 100%. And you obviously can't uh, know, like you can't say, I don't know to everything. So for me, it was, there's a lot of research. I've read a lot of books, read a lot of art, like tons of research, books, podcasts, you name it. There's a lot of things that I do know really well, and I'm proud and confident when that comes up in conversation and strategy talk, whatever it may be, to say, no, like I'm very confident in my opinion here. And then when I know that we're not in that te territory, very quick to stand up and say, I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I give you credit for doing that. I think it's, I think it's a skill that uh, I, I definitely continue to work on is, is placing myself in, in being putting that pride aside and, and doing that, getting back to, you know, my first question when we had talked about, um, were you, do you feel when you, when you were thinking about entrepreneurship and it wasn't necessarily part of the vision that you had, um, talk to me about that story and process of when did you start to realize that this is a path I'm going down or, or maybe, maybe it was happening before you even realized it in the first place. Yeah, there's a, a very a great story with that answer. Uh, and really quick, a thought about what we were just talking about of uh, why is it that for some people it's easier to admit when they, that they don't know? Uh, why is it harder for some? Why is it even a battle to begin with? If you look at the societal view of not knowing, right? Like the world has an expectation that you should know it all. And we are pushed that expectation is pushed on us, especially in professional careers. How could you not know the answer to a question, right? Like it's, it's almost unheard of. And so 
to the point where we feel we have to fake knowing, but imagine a world where I don't know was glorified, right? Where I don't know was celebrated uh, because it's in the, I don't knows that the growth happens. So I think that's important to note for anyone listening or watching. How do you think we, we would go about creating an environment where I don't know is acceptable? I think it starts with celebrating when someone says it, when you're in a professional conversation at work and you get to that answer. I don't know. Pat someone on the back, like encourage it, you know, be excited when you hear it because you are now at the point where you're going to learn something. And I think it's really just changing our thought process and celebrating it as many little moments as we can. And eventually that all summing up to the big moments uh, of celebration where it's ingrained in people's heads that I need to get to, I don't know as quick as I can. And maybe that's like the simplest way to say it, get to, I don't know as quick as you can, because that's where you're going to grow. And, and then what happens? And, and we'll get back to the story of your, your entrepreneurship story, but I, I like this path. So, so if, if we get to a point where we're celebrating the, I don't know, uh, we're at that point, what happens next? For me, it's always been about, let me find 50 people to ask this question to, because there's nothing new under the sun. Someone's already done whatever it is out there that you want to do, and they've done it well, or they've done it not well, and they've learned something and they've gained something. And for me, whenever I got to, I don't know, it was straight to my mentors first. Let me ask all my mentors this question, see what knowledge they get. And each one gives me, you know, one-tenth of the puzzle. And then it's just in conversation, I'm bringing it up. And after enough people that I've talked to and asked this question to my, I don't know, becomes, okay, I think I have a picture here and I'm going to make, and we'll never have the full answer, right? We'll never have all the pieces to the puzzle. But I really believe that if you ask enough questions of enough people, you can get at least enough of a picture to take a step forward and then get to the next, I don't know. And so then as you're, as you're asking, you, you, you mentioned, okay, I'm going to go to my, my 50 mentors, right? I'm going to go to 50 people. I'm going to ask them. Maybe they're not all mentors, but you're going to ask different people. Um, as you start to get those answers, what's happening? How are, you, how are you evaluating the different answers that you're getting? How are you filtering through and figuring out? Because I, I think then you could, you could also say, well, how do you avoid the, the information overload? I'm going to ask 50 people. I'm going to get 50 different potential responses of how I should attack a problem. Um, how are you going through that process of evaluating feedback and then determining when it's the right time for you to take an action? Yeah. I don't want to say that it's just a feeling on one of the, you know, points of data sounding better than the others, but it really is like throwing it all onto this blank table, all these ideas onto the table and looking at it from that 30,000 foot view and just starting to move pieces around. Hey, this person gave me this piece of advice, but I also know that they're in this particular situation. So take that with a grain of salt. There's just a little note on this one. This person gave me this advice. Hey, there's something really similar about their situation to mine. Cool. Note on that one, move that one up and just analyzing each one on its own merit. And then looking at it from the high level view, the picture starts to become clearer and clearer. I just, I promise it does as you analyze each one on its own merit and then analyze it on a high level after, after you've prioritized. And, and to me, you know, it just, it, it ties so much into this conversation of, you know, be, becoming a high performer of, of someone who uh, exemplifies this vision, hustle, great and gratitude. We, we talk about often the idea of, of intentional hustle 
and um, that you know, focusing your time, using your resources on the most important things. And, and, and I think it, this fits into your success that you've experienced thus far in your entrepreneurial and your socialpreneurial journey is that ability to use your resources, the people that you have around you to be able to lean on them and, and ask, right? And then that can help you from like, when we think about intentional hustle and focusing your time on the things that are most important, I think in going through that process, uh, it, it empowers you to then become extra focused on, on what is the next step that I should be taking. And it's probably helping you spend more time on the right things or taking a step in a positive direction um, because you're using those resources. And I just think that seems to be something that I've noticed is common amongst high performers is that they do rely on a lot of people. They do ask a lot of people. They, they use those resources, those mentors that are around them um, to their advantage, right? Yeah, we, we have to be really intentional. Like you said, intentional hustle. I mean, the word hustle itself, we have to be intentional in how we use it. And in some cases, the word hustle gets over glorified to mean you're, you have at least something of substance and success and you're hustling to make it bigger. But we just went through a process where you and I talked about asking a bunch of questions of a bunch of people, taking all those thoughts, prioritizing them on their own merit and looking at it. That's all hustle too. And you are never going to get to the hustle that gets glorified in society today of I'm on my e-commerce website hustling right now, like doing Google ads and Facebook ads. This is me hustling, right? And someone thinks, wow, I can't wait to hustle. I can't wait to have something where I can hustle. The hustle started so much, so far before that, that uh, we just need to make sure we're intentional with hustle because if it gets too glorified, everyone will just say that sentence. I can't wait till I get to hustle. Man, the hustling, it starts right away. And, and I, th I think that's important to to shift that definition. And that's why I think we, that's why we, we place that, that intentional qualifier ahead of it, because you're right. I mean, not, not all hustle is, is made the same and it shouldn't be, be glorified to be something that it's not. Sometimes the intentional hustle looks like doing that, <clears throat> that dirty work or doing the work to just take a step back to simplify things and then figure out how to move forward. It's a lot of thinking. It's a lot of thinking. And that in itself is a small business owner. That is entrepreneurship, right? That is starting your own thing. You are thinking up the entire playbook probably from scratch. If you ask enough questions, you're going to get pieces of other playbooks. That is the start of the hustle that only continues on when you then have something that has substance to it and you're behind the keyboard. And if you asked 10 people out on the street, Hey, what, what comes to mind when you think of hustle? I think they're going to say, I see a person in front of a computer screen. The clock says 2 AM, their hands on their forehead. They look stressed, but they're typing. That's one of many parts to the hustle value chain. For sure. For sure. And so I, I think this discussion then helps, helps kind of paint the picture and helps us understand some of those underlying, whether they're traits or skill sets or the way that you just approach the world, how they could lend themselves to you becoming an entrepreneur and a socialpreneur. Um, and so, so now that we, we understand a little bit more about who, who Nicholas is and the way that he approaches things, uh, now let's, let's get to that story of, of when entrepreneurship became the route for you. So we get to, we're getting towards the end of college and 
like any college junior senior, what comes next is the first and last question on your mind every day. I saw a world as I started to get towards the end of my senior season of soccer. So the fall of my senior year, I saw all these opportunities after graduation with my MBA and I looked at them all and thought none of them are going to make me feel fulfilled. And I was scared of taking any of those. And this door opens up right after my senior soccer season to play soccer overseas. And to me, it was the only door that wasn't one of those opportunities. And so I, I took it because it wasn't one of these. And I went, moved to Australia while I was in Australia, had a lot of free time and just started volunteering in five different nonprofits. So I would spend most of my day working in multiple nonprofits from kids in the hospital to serving our homeless friends on the street and then go to soccer at night. I was getting this sampler platter of life put right before me and I was tasting as much as I could taste. And as that's all happening, Chad, one thing that is so important for when I went away is I moved to a country where I didn't know a soul. And when I stepped foot in Australia, I had no friends, you know, no cell phone, no car, no routine, no coffee shop, no go-to person, right? You have to build your whole life from scratch. Now, granted, you've got the FaceTimes and the Skypes to talk back with home, but it's also a 15 hour difference. So they're sleeping when I'm moving and I'm sleeping when they're moving. So I had to build a life from scratch. I had to build those relationships. And it was the combination of being involved in multiple nonprofits and having that sampler platter combined with building this life from scratch that when I got to the end of that Australian journey, was ready to move back to Michigan, I said, you know, building has been amazing and I need to continue building because I felt fulfilled while I was building. So that you have all that background. I get on this plane, I fly back to Michigan. And as I land, I get this text message from my twin sister who's in pediatric oncology at Mott Children's Hospital at the time. And she says, Nick, when you get a free second, you should make a blanket for a kid in the hospital, a blanket, one. Told you I'm aggressively curious. Start asking questions. How many blankets do you need? How often do you need them? Her answers back to me. We always need blankets. They dramatically change the room. We never have enough. Like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, you're the best, one of the best children's hospitals in the country. You don't have enough of something you need. So I picked up the phone that day. I called every children's hospital in Michigan and everyone gave me the same answers to my questions. They said, Nick, we always need blankets. They dramatically change the room. We never have enough. And there you have the exact outline that we just talked about, right? Like someone asked me a question. I then asked them questions back. I then said, hmm, that doesn't make sense. I don't know why that's the case. I then asked 22 other children's hospitals and units the same questions. Hmm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know, and this picture started to unfold that, wow, we got a problem here. We got to solve this problem. There's 30,000 kids a year that go into the hospital for inpatient treatment. There's no service that guarantees all of them color, comfort, and connection in the hospital room. And so as I started Fleece and Thank You, I applied to 156 other jobs across the country and I got denied for all of them. And I was like, I even applied, Chad, to be the overnight supervisor at a youth homeless shelter in downtown Chicago. And you didn't I got, get that one? I got declined. And it was this whole, it was this combination of, just 
life declining all those outlets and me having this passion to build, passion for nonprofit, asking these questions, seeing this problem that before I knew it, I was building Fleece and Thank You and I was this entrepreneur. But it was never my plan. It was just this series of experiences, tasting what was on the sample platter, being in the moment, seeing problems, asking questions. And before I knew it, we were a couple months into Fleece and Thank You and realized, wow, okay, this is, this is, I'm doing it. I guess I'm doing it. <laughs> so, but, but to me, there was, there was a clear moment where I, I think of this, I, I wrote down, you know, this, this idea of, of taking the road less traveled. And, and it's something that, that I've done in my life. And, and to me, there's a very clear moment that you talked about where you're, you're finishing up college and you're evaluating the next chapter of your life. And as you talked about, there's, there's the road that I think is often traveled, which is um, maybe you're applying for some well-known companies in the area. You're applying for companies around the country. Um, and, and that didn't appeal to you. That didn't, you mentioned the word fulfillment, like that wasn't going to bring you fulfillment. What was it like? And, and, and how did you, because I think a lot of people feel this, right? I think a, there's a lot of people, especially college students that have this entrepreneurial desire. They like to start something on their own. Maybe it's not even entrepreneurship, but, but they want to take a road that is less traveled. But it's, it's not easy. It is not easy. Talk to me about the process of, of finally or eventually coming to the conclusion that, that you know what, I am going to take this road less traveled. How did you get to that point? I got to think that a huge part in being open to getting there in the first place is this concept of realizing that like I get, I, I live my life by a philosophy that to whom much is given, much is required. Now the common phrase is to whom much is given, much is expected. But to me, an expectation, you can let down an expectation and nothing happens. When there's a requirement and that requirement is not fulfilled, that means that something else is going to break. To me, to whom much is given, much is required, makes me wake up in the morning and know, live a great life, born in a great country, you know, to parents that were there for me, you know, raised me well, had good schooling, like so many, I could list for hours the, the blessings and benefits that I started the game with. I was given so much. And acknowledging that and knowing that a lot was going to be required of me was step one in being open to what was to come next. Now, then when we get to that question of, Hey, what comes after college? Right. I looked at those opportunities and said, I feel like I'm not fulfilling my requirement by taking those. And my requirement is to, to serve the world, like to find my fit, to serve the world because the world's better if I can do that. And I know that I'm not fulfilling that requirement if I take those. So luckily for me, this door opened up, which doesn't open up for everyone to move out of the country, right? But maybe that door is a gap year. Maybe that door is uh, finishing school online and traveling. Different in today's world, but hopefully soon can get back to that. Whatever that is, for me, I was lucky that a door opened up, but it was a door I had pursued that I opened up. So finding the door uh, and then just saying, you know, if nothing on the table right now is fulfilling my requirement, then I'm going to take a door 
uh, elsewhere. And, and I can only imagine, you know, once you, once you make that decision to, to take that road less traveled, that, uh, that you got absolutely zero pushback from anyone in your life and everyone <laughs> applauded you for doing something against the grain, right? Is, is that exactly how it happened? So here's the thing about comfort zones. And if you haven't learned this yet, we're all, we all learn it at some point. We all have our own comfort zone and it is, you know, however big or small, we know it is, but we know our comfort zone, right? We can tell anyone what's inside or outside of that comfort zone. What we have to remember is that our loved ones, they have a comfort zone as well. And we happen to be inside that comfort zone, right? And at many points, our comfort zones overlap, right? And that for me was all of those jobs that were in front of me. They were all inside that overlap of that comfort zone. Australia was not, it wasn't even in mine. It certainly wasn't in my support systems comfort zone. And me saying I want to do that for them is them saying, hey, you're asking me to go outside of my comfort zone to support you on this. That's really tough. It's not, it's just not an expectation that you can have that when you find these doors, the gap you're moving to Australia, whatever it is, that there's going to be insta onboardness from your support system. It just doesn't work like that. But if you're convicted, then uh, you just have to lean on the trust and love that you have with that support system to acknowledge that you get one chance to live this life. This is what you really believe is the best next step to take. And they need to love and trust you to take that step. And if you fail, you fail. And if you succeed, then the world is better. What, what keeps you going? Because um, so even from that moment when you make that decision, to I'm sure now that you've been down this journey for, you know, I don't, I don't know how many, five, six, seven, eight years. Um, I imagine there's still many of those times where you run into, uh, this is just hard. Right. And, and we see that even at, at, at our firm is that, you know, coming into this, uh, this career as a financial services representative, um, it's not easy. It's not easy. You are an entrepreneur, you are starting a business. So how are you, what keeps you going when you're when your your backs up against that wall, or when you go through this hardship, or in that that beginning phase when you're um, you're stepping out of that comfort zone of, for both you and the people around you? What pushes you through? So there is uh, an analogy. I live my life in analogies. I'm always thinking in analogies, and in my head, truly, this analogy is how I'm looking at the world at all times. I look at it like. Uh, like picture, we took a bicycle and flipped it over, right? And you've got the wheels, they're standing straight up. If you and I were standing on either side of those wheels, Chad, I could spin the wheel one way. And when I took my hand off, you could stop it and spin the wheel the other way. And we could be in this constant battle of spinning this wheel, right? And the way that I look at the world, there's good things and bad things happening. The bad things is the person on the other side of the wheel trying to spin it one way. I'm doing the best I can to have endurance, stay up at the wheel. And every time I can help someone, serve someone, start a business, work a day in a business that I started to make the world better. That's me spinning this wheel as fast as I can, as hard as I can, and just trying to stay up to not give the other side an opportunity to spin the wheel back the other way, to build momentum. And I really see every day that I step in to my role at Fleece and Thank You and the other things that I do. I'm helping gain momentum in this making the world a better place. Knowing that there's going to be a time when 
I can't spin the wheel anymore. And there's going to be a time when I'm gone. I'm not even like a memory at some point, right? Not even a name anywhere. But the momentum that I gave to the wheel could still be moving it. And that's pretty cool to me. I think sometimes it, it can be easy to see someone like yourself. And, uh, you know, if, if I'm a college student right now, I can think, um, it, it can be easy to think like, well, that's, that's great for him. You know, maybe he was always that way, or, uh, it's, it's, it can be difficult to picture yourself in your own shoes, in your own journey, uh, getting to the point where you can exemplify some of the things that you've talked about. Tell me, tell me about one of the biggest transformations that you have experienced in this journey that has empowered you to become the Nicholas Christock that we know today? Yeah. Two things to that. The first would be if anyone does look at someone in, in my position and think that, uh, that I'm, you know, I'm to a point where I can then look back and, and really like learn these things. I just want to make sure that it's known that I am so not even there yet. I am so not even close to being there. And I really believe that. So for anyone, like just seven years ago, I sat in a college desk thinking everything that you just said. And I've come a long way in seven years, but I've got 70 more years and I probably still won't even be there yet. Um, what was the second part of your question? Cause I, I have a great uh, point to touch on after we kind of talked about just being there yet. The, the second part is uh, going along with, with being there is I imagine that you have gone through some personal transformation uh, along this change. journey. Tell yep. me about the, the biggest transformation that you have had to go through to experience uh, you know, where you're at today. I have this answer uh, deep in my heart. I know the answer to this question. And the biggest transformation for me came when it was more than just me inside one of my ventures. When I started to really build the team and that team was a team that counted on me. And eventually that business became something that paid other people's livings. Uh, there's an emotional, there's a physical, there's a financial, there's all these implications of support that fall on the leader of the venture. Once other people came into the business, that shift of how you take care of a team member changed a ton for me, for someone who had done a lot of things on their own, you know, made some decisions. Yes. Played team sports my whole life. I've never played an individual sport. So I've always been parts of teams, but moving to Australia, leaving on my own, right? Like making these choices, they were solo choices. Uh, caring for people on your team when you're the leader has been the biggest transformation to me. I have learned so much and I learn every day more about how to properly care for someone on your team from a holistic view, emotional, physical, financial, everything. Uh, it takes consistent dedication and care. You cannot take your eye off of the team. And that is the biggest change I think that I've seen over the last five years of being in business of how I view the people on my team and how much I learn every day about how to care for them. When, when, when we talk about teams, well, two things came to mind for me as you were saying that. I, I guess one would be you've mentioned the word servant a lot. And, and here at Mass Mutual Great Lakes, we talk a lot about the idea of servant leadership in that um, 
the idea behind leadership, I think people often think that leaders need to be like really outspoken. They need to be confident. They need to have the answers. They need to um, provide direction to their team. And, and it's been my experience as well that redefining what leadership should be and thinking about servant leadership, that really the best lever, leaders are those servant leaders who understand how to serve their teammates, right? That's how we, that's how we effectively lead people, how we effectively form teams, uh, lead teams, contribute to team success is based on that, that servant mentality, which seems to be a common theme with you throughout the way that you approach uh, your organization, the way that you've approached the types of impact that you want to make in the world seems to be involved a lot around that servant idea. Yeah. There's adverbs and there's verbs here. Consistently is an adverb, right? Consistently doesn't tell you much except that, you know, that the word consistently means over and over and over again with the same pace and vigor, right? The verb is doing and being present. And when you bring those together to me, the minimum level of, of quality leadership is consistently adverb doing and being present. Now, if you hit that minimum, that to me is you are a quality leader. If you can do well, execute at a high level consistently, and then just be present for your team consistently, right. And not give up on them. Now from there, if you can communicate, you're at in to another tier, but like you said, you don't need to be outspoken from the get-go. I think that will always come. That will always be a natural progression of leadership. You will get more outspoken. First focus on consistently, adverb, doing and being present, verbs. What does it look like to be present for your team? What does that mean? That's where that care component comes in, that you have to be switched on all the time. When Chad comes into the office, I need to make sure that I'm looking Chad in the eye, right? I'm watching Chad set his stuff down on his chair as he takes his coat off, as he puts his lunch in the fridge. How are his, how's his body language today versus yesterday, right? Did I have a quick check-in with Chad yesterday? And I know that he actually has some things going on at home or he had a big test for a certification he was studying for. Like there's so much baggage that we all carry with us every single day. And as a leader, I needed to have the right conversations to learn what's inside the suitcase that you carry with yourself every day for good or for bad and always be picking up on Chad's cues. Is he straining a little bit with that suitcase today? Is that suitcase lighter today? Cool. Awesome. Maybe I'll find out why it's lighter. Maybe I won't. I'm happy that it's lighter for him, but that is, that's the do consistently and the be present consistently part, because if you're not there, if you're not present for that, you won't see that Chad looks like he's straining with that suitcase today. Hence, you won't have that conversation uh, in the middle of the day of, hey, let's take a walk. What's happening, man? How's, how's things going at home? And then when it comes time to, for me to ask Chad, hey, how come you didn't execute on this project? What's going on here? Right? I have none of that care and information to really make the valuable decisions that you need to make. From a leadership standpoint, then what uh, what's happening? So as you're, as you're being present and you're, you're noticing things about your team members, you're noticing um, when that suitcase is light or when that suitcase is heavy, then what happens as, as you're noticing these things, or if you notice something new, uh, how are you approaching that when we talk about this idea of servant leadership with your team members? So you have to first set your boundaries, right? You can't be over empathetic and take your team members feelings home with you. But when you've set those boundaries up, right, you 
are trying to then just make sure that you get them to a level of trust that they can share exactly what's in the suitcase. A lot of people use the question, how can I help? It's a great question, right? And that's the question to ask. But we need to talk about if you haven't done the legwork, how can I help means nothing. Because if you just walk up to someone on the street and they're having a lot of things going on and you say, how can I help, right? There's no emotional deposits. There's no trust. There's no love. You can't help them. But if you've put that in ahead of time and I can bring a team member to complete trust, then when I say, how can I help? They're going to tell me exactly how I can help. And then I just need to consistently do. I need to consistently adverb, then verb, do, help. However they've told me I can help. I need to then execute on that. Yeah, I think that's that's a powerful thing. Um, and, and I think, you know, uh, a friend of our firm, Lee Rubin says, you know, we audition for the trust of our teammates every single day uh, and being able to not only notice those things, but but take that action. And then I love that you keep using the word consistently, I think is, is just such an important piece of it and that that trust is built over time. And look, sometimes that trust gets uh, degraded a little bit. Sometimes that trust isn't there as as much. Um, but there's always opportunities every single day to continue to audition for that trust. There's always an- another opportunity to prove that, you know, we are there for our teammates. Right. And, and I think it, it, it goes back to, I, I think your experience in sports probably plays a role in the way that you approach teams. Talk to me a little bit about your, your sports background and how that might fit into this whole equation. Well, there's been very few, worthwhile or memorable things that have happened in the world that weren't accomplished by teams. I think that the short list of individual efforts is pretty small and pretty short lived and not memorable. It's the teams that have made things happen and being on many teams. I think I was just consistently taught that season after season, I think from age four to 22, I played at least two, if not three sports year round. So that's three teams a year, right? Three coaches a year. If each team has 20 guys, 60 new guys a year that I'm learning things from for 18, 20 years total, man, that's a long time to be taught lessons. And that's a lot of lessons to learn. And so that for me, I was lucky to be able to participate in so many sports and just be exposed to that. Like anything, the things you spend your time in, you know, shape who you are. Uh, and that was for me a situation that I was consistently put in that just polished my rock to be team oriented. Yeah. I mean, as, as I think about sports and I think about, again, this like college population and the emphasis on, on getting work experience on, on internships, I feel like, uh, I feel like sports are one of the greatest internships that, that you can have as you're thinking about your professional career, because of, like you said, so many of the lessons that you learn, the experiences that you have uh, dealing with teammates, dealing with loss, uh, putting in the work. Uh, we talk about, again, that, that, that hustle, the grit, the idea of bouncing back after something unpredictable happens and the way that you bounce back. I just think uh, sports are perhaps the, the greatest internship you can have and translate so well into business. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, anything sports, being on a team, I mean, even, uh, I don't know, just being in in the the marching band, right? I mean, like that in itself is a season and there's games, right, where you're performing and executing and things go wrong and just being a part of a team at all. And I have a 
a social experiment test that uh, normally is a hundred percent accurate to be able to tell me if someone has played a team sport or not. And so I don't say this to catch anyone. I only say this as a good learning lesson to be this type of person. If you go uh, into a room and someone opens a granola bar and they offer it to other people in the circle, they probably played a team sport. Someone opens a granola bar in a room of people and just eats it themselves. They probably didn't play a team sport. Now that doesn't work hundred percent of the time. And I don't say that to catch someone who played a team sport or didn't. I'm just saying that to say, be the person who offers the granola bar every single time. And you'll, if whether you played a team sport or not, you'll, you'll start to understand better and better. Every time you offer that granola bar to someone, what it means to be a part of a team. Yeah, I think that's great. As we as we wrap up today, uh, package up for us your your advice for w- we talk about taking this road less traveled. You know, for you that meant uh, going and playing soccer. Um, it's meant taking this journey of entrepreneurship. What would the advice that you would give to? that, that college population, whether it's someone who's just figuring out what they want to do, maybe they're a freshman. Um, maybe it's someone who's, who's graduating, or maybe it's someone who's a young professional. That's a couple of years into their career, but they're, they know they're like desiring that road less traveled, but, but they're not sure what to do. What is your advice to someone in that situation? I've got a couple things as I wrap up here. So the first would be order the sampler platter, order the appetizer sampler, taste as many things as you can possibly taste. And when I say taste it, that doesn't mean get on a plane and move to Australia. It could, right? It might just mean, I think I want to be a pediatric endocrinologist. So I'm going to find friend of a friend of a friend of a friend, and I'm going to get coffee with them and just learn what that's like. I think that I want to be a ballet performer. I'm going to find a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend, and I'm going to have a conversation with them. Taste as much as you can on the sampler platter to really start to figure out what it is you want. And then from there, ask a ton of questions about everything. Be curious about everything that you can be curious about. Ask as many questions as you can until you get to an, I don't know, and then take those questions and ask more people the questions. After that, just fulfill the requirement. From there, you've got, you've tasted lots of things. You've asked lots of questions. Your purpose, your, your, what you're meant to do is going to start to come in the picture. It's going to start to appear and then just go for it, fulfill the requirement because to whom much is given much is required. And I think if you're listening to this podcast, if you're watching this podcast, we could list hundreds of things that you have going for you right now that were given much was earned for sure. But much of much of that was also given and much is required of you to go out and fulfill your requirement. There you have it. I think that's great. I think that's great. Nicholas, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the thing or two that you're most excited about right now, uh, personally or professionally. Uh, and, and then where can we learn more about you and what you're working on? Appreciate it. So every single day I operate uh, two main businesses, my baby and the heart is Fleece and Thank You, a nonprofit that makes blankets for kids in the hospital, every single child in the state of Michigan. With every blanket, there's a video message from the person that made it, Chad, to the patient that receives it, Chloe. Chloe can then send a message back to Chad. And so anyone who wants to connect with a child in the hospital, send words of encouragement and a piece of handmade comfort. 
they can go to fleeceandthankyou.org and they can order blanket kits shipped right to their home and make those blanket kits in the comfort of their home. We'll get those into the hospital. I also love working with nonprofits through my technology platform, KindCatch, which is essentially like a Snapchat for nonprofits. Anyone who knows a nonprofit, works in nonprofit, would love to talk about how you're engaging your donors and how personal video texted right to their phone might be the future uh, for your engagement with donors. And so serving nonprofits, helping kids in the hospital is the name of the game for me and anyone who aligns with that or just wants to have a chat, I am always available at chrisdoc.com. That is my website. And I believe that if you don't make time for other people, then your priorities are seriously off. And I always make time for 30 minutes. I will take a call with anyone that books it on my calendar, 30 minutes, 100% to talk life, smoothies, entrepreneurship, anything. We can uh, we can testify here at Mass Mutual Great Lakes that uh, we've been fortunate to partner with Fleets and thank you a couple of different times and to host some of our own blanket making events. Always a ton of fun, uh, always great atmosphere, and it's just uh, there's there's something special, unique, and rewarding about you know not only creating something but then getting to send that video message, that personal touch uh, to a kid in the hospital. So. Um, definitely something that I would recommend, something that we've, we've really enjoyed in the past. Nicholas, thanks so much for investing some time with us here today. Uh, I appreciate you being with us. Huge thanks to Mass Mutual Great Lakes for having me on. Thank you, Chad. Awesome. We will see everyone next time. Uh, until then, keep attacking life with grit and gratitude. We'll see ya. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. Our goal is to bring value to as many people as possible with these conversations. And we need your help to grow the podcast. Please leave a rating and review on Apple with your thoughts on the conversations so far. Thanks in advance. And until next time, keep attacking your life with grit and gratitude. You'll be surprised where it'll take you.